You're listening to 247 Real Talk. I'm your host, Julian Perry. And for this episode, I'll be sharing my perspective on race, diversity, and politics. I want to offer a very big uh, hello and welcome to my audience. It's been some time since I have uh, done a monologue, so to speak, shared my own perspective. I've had quite a few guests and um, it's been very interesting speaking to people about mental health and race relations and uh, the coronavirus and all these things that are impacting our society today in such a major way. I felt that I would take a pause um, from the guests for this episode and I would share or a bit of my own perspective or maybe a rant, if you may call it, on things that I'm seeing unfolding in front of me that I think you know, need to be talked about, need to be shared, need to be discussed, need to be you know, paid attention to. I'm looking around at the whole scene around me, the political scene as we go closer to an election and the movement of Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter movement and all the fights for uh, diversity, equality, criminal justice. There's so much going on. And yet despite of all, all the awareness that's being brought to the forefront, all the spotlights that, that, that are being placed on different aspects that, that you know, are among us and, and should be um, front and center in everyone's mind. Us, we, people, human beings, are still behaving as if we are animals, as if we were born in some different way and, and, and we were made up of something different under our skins. And it is a very difficult thing that I've struggled with for many years. Um, those of you who have listened to some of my earlier episodes, I've mentioned a bit about my upbringing and the fact that it was I was a teenager before I even you know, experienced uh, my first bout of racism or understood, experienced and understood what happened to me. And I think that is, you know, part of why I am the way I am and the way I see how things should be. And, and people say, well, you know, that's not reality, but it's still my reality to a certain extent. I refuse to believe that we don't know right from wrong. I, I, I was looking at Facebook up to this evening and seeing comments from friends of mine that I've known for 20, 30, 40 years, 40 plus years. 
And for the first time in my life, I found myself questioning a lot of my decade-long or decades-long friendships from the things that people are saying, trying to understand if that is who they've become or if that is who they always were. And in that case, when they were not in my presence, what, what did they think of me and how did they see me? You know, I, I find people making derogatory comments about protesters as, as you know, trash and rats and that should be obliterated. Almost as if they're clueless to what's going on in our society today. It is a shame to see where we are after so many years of progress in our history. The last few years have been downright horrible in terms of human interaction, in terms of race relations, in terms of people feeling they have the right to be racist and they're proud of it. And what's even worse is we look towards leaders to help to effect change. And as you examine who our leaders are, political leaders, I, I often wonder, even some who that seem to be the best of them, what their true real interests are. When we elect people to go to Washington to to be the leaders of this, this great nation, to fight on our behalf, to share our you know, common values and goals. Is that what they really do when they get there? Think about it. We seem to matter the least. We seem to be in the same struggle no matter who we elect. But in this time, it seems as if People want to find righteousness in what's going on to continue the way that we're living. And the racial divide, the ethnic divide, the gender divide, is all, all I can think of is division. We cannot have leaders who call people names. And, and we cannot have leaders who make fun of people. I mean, I saw... A, an illustration on Facebook tonight where it was a, an illustration of, of uh, the Democratic nominee for President uh, Joe Biden and his running mate Kamala Harris. And they had them you know, drawn and dressed up in a funny outfit. And it was, you know, and, and forgive me for repeating it, but I must for the impact and for you to understand, it said, the honky and the hoe. Where do we get off doing this in society? Why do we feel, where do people come from that feel that that is okay? It's not even a situation where this is a life that, that these people led and therefore they felt like they're hiding it and they're calling them out for what they really are, which is still wrong, but where, where do we get off doing this? When, the, when have we gotten so hateful of each other that those who don't find it in the color of their skin find it in their identification with a specific political party. 
why does it mean that you have to identify with, with Republican or Democrat and hate each other? How do we live with ourselves when we look at what's going on right now in our country and we say, oh, this is, you know, we're going to blame people who are not in power and completely ignore what's continuously going on in front of us over and over again. It, it is mind-boggling for me to understand. And again, from my perspective, this has nothing to do with you know, who, what party you belong to. It has to do with decency. This has to do with honesty. This has to do with being truthful to yourself. So much in society is designed to oppress one set of people, whether it be your, your race or your financial capabilities. I mean, you know, one of the other things that crossed my mind, and, and forgive me if I'm jumping about a little bit, but I, I'm in a rant place on this episode. You know, I, I thought tonight about the Electoral College. And how that is this myth of equality and balance of power and representation. The fact is, my personal view is whoever wins the leadership presidency of a country, there should only be one way they win. And that's by what we call the popular vote. And that is the total number of votes or the highest number of votes from everyone who voted. How can you tell me that a system is designed for fairness and tell me that my vote counts, but a guy can get 3 million votes less than another candidate or one candidate gets 3 million votes less than another candidate and still become president? That system needs, doesn't even need to exist. If you want to talk about the Electoral College in terms of balance of power representation in Congress, then maybe you find a different system so that each state, et cetera, these district or whatever it requires gets you know, equal representation from the opposing parties, but not for the presidency of the United States. That should be the most votes wins, period. Because you have to understand the deeper thing about the electoral college, and I'm sure I'm not the first or the last to speak about it, but when you look at how the, 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 it, it's, it's broken up in, 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 into states, you can't blame the, you know, or, or try to take away the power of the popular vote because our society is so designed, even geographically within, that certain neighborhoods are predominantly which or you're predominantly affluent and predominantly white and predominantly black and predominantly it's it's purposely segregated. You know, I don't want to live next to you because you're not in my, you know, my as affluent as I am. You're not in my my you know at my level at whatever I deem that to be, race, creed, or color. And so neighborhoods, you know, like that tend to be you know, predominantly one thing or another. And then they want to say, well, you know, that's unfair because, you know, the, 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 the diversity is not, not equal. Well, guess what? That's been orchestrated by people of power. 
that's been orchestrated of people, wealthy people who don't want to live right next to a poor person. One race that does not want to live next to another. And as we struggle to bring about change and equality, we have to, to figure out how, how we get to a point, and I think we're getting there because of the current generation, you know, the Generation Z people who are marching irrespective of race, creed, or color for Black Lives Matter, for the movement, for the change. But I don't know when that generation can become the majority across this country, across the world, that we kind of begin to once again resemble what we looked like at birth. Innocent, accepting of each other because of a smile, because of kindness, because of a need to help each other with no ulterior motives. That's the infancy of it. Look at who we've become. And I'm ranting about this in this episode because it really affects me personally. I, again, you know, with my upbringing, I'm, I, I understand you know, over time of listening to different opinions and, and really getting into what's going on in our society amongst ourselves as human beings, I understand what exists today, but I still grapple with it. I still battle with the thought because even I am viewed by another race, as individually I'm viewed in a certain way by people who don't even know me. People who don't realize that to this day because of how I was molded as a child, I am interested in who you are as a person. I'm interested in who you are in character. I'm interested in you being genuine and me being genuine in return. I'm not interested in, in identifying that you know, I am black, a black or a brown community and you're from white community and therefore you know, because of inherent racism, you know, we automatically dislike each other. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in being judged when I go for a job because of the color of my skin. I'm not saying this is not reality. That is reality. I'm just saying the, the, who I am has no interest in that type of behavior. One of the reasons for the birth of 247 Real Talk, this podcast, is to empower, is to effect change, is to call to action people who have the ability to be a part of the movement and people who are not sure how or what they can do to help to change things. And understanding that we've gone so far away from who we were created to be that the only way back or the only way to get closer requires force, forcing our way upwards, forcing our way to be heard. And unfortunately, sometimes in the process of being heard, things get violent. So to 
my friend who referred to protesters as rats that needs to be obliterated. I'm wondering whether he simply doesn't understand the issue or that's who he really is and always was and the only one who was unsure about our relationship or or, or only one who was naive in our relationship was me. Unfortunately, I'm seeing this re- repeated in so many different friendships because I have friends of every, every race. And the things they feel emboldened to say now, they haven't said in my presence or around anyone else I know for 40 years. And it is, it is sad. It is a challenge. It is something that it's hard for me to describe how it feels to look at people who you shared meals with, who have been into your homes, who have shared some of the most personal and private moments with you, who have, have seemed to extend themselves or, or, or in appearance seem to be genuine and genuinely concerned and genuinely care, genuinely have a love for you as a person and vice versa, a mutual relationship of respect and caring and love and friendship. And then they say things that are so destructive and you, you can't ignore them because they have to come from a destructive place within them. It had to be a thought that was ingrained in them all these years that finally it's like, it's like you, you, you're something that's being you know, like contained and just waiting to explode. And over the last few years, this culture that has been creating this country has given them permission to pull the pin and explode and finally say and expose who they are with impunity. I doubt since since they're on my Facebook and I'm on theirs, obviously, I doubt they ever stopped to think about the people that would read what they're saying. They probably don't even care. Or maybe they're so shallow-minded that they don't realize that what they're doing and what they're saying now is part of the destruction of who we are as human beings. I mean, in a certain way, I'm glad that they did because at least at some point, I mean, it's, it's decades later, but at least I finally got the chance to sadly see who they are. And as I reminisce on times and moments that we spent and shared it is the saddest thing to see that human beings can be- behave in this manner. You know, and, and then something has happened in the last, I don't know, week, week and a half, two weeks, that even adds to how destructive we are as people. I think back to even New York when, in, in, the, in the middle of the pandemic, when we were using, losing there a thousand people a day. A thousand people a day were close to were dying. And, you know, testing sites started to go up. And some reporter had to point out to our, our officials that in areas of New York City, like Far Rockaway in the Bronx and Elmers, those areas had the largest number of cases per capita. And there were like 98% black and brown people and there were no testing sites. 
And I mentioned that because now I see we go into an election and we're still in this pandemic. And so we're trying to find innovative ways to vote and you know, voting by mail seems to be the big thing on, on the news these days. And what happens? We see trucks driving around neighborhoods removing mailboxes. Really? So what does that do again? Think about it for a second. When the testing sites started going up in areas that were not black and brown, and you were from the area of black and brown, if you really need to be tested, in a lot of those areas, people didn't have cars. They used public transportation. And so, you know, to get to the testing site that was usually in a, in a, in a suburban area, you know, a more affluent area, was almost impossible. Now, you know, the people that still probably do a lot of the support to the, to the postal, USPS, uh, and, and still mail letters, and the people who would take that ballot out to the street and put it in one of those boxes are probably, if I looked at it and I really looked at the, at the, the geography of it, I probably, I'm pretty sure I would find out that they're predominantly black and brown people. And in this case, predominantly Democrats. So what have you done? You've, you're, you're by doing this, you know, people are saying, well, they're doing this so that people can't vote. But you're doing more than that. You're once again punishing, you're once again oppressing minorities. You're once again sculpting and, 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 and changing the shape of our lives to your benefit. And by your, I mean the people in power, by oppressing minorities, by removing their, 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 the ease of them to do something that's a right, a right that they fought for. So, you know, when people make noise in the movements, that people go on the streets when they protest, when they're angry, when they, and I'm not condoning looting, but it's, it's, a, it's an expression of anger in some places. Now, don't get me wrong, because I have heard of groups that go around the country looking for protests and then, you know, to, to use as cover for their looting that has nothing to do with the protest. But there are some cases where people are just, you know, exercising or, or showcasing anger. And while the victim, the host or whatever, I'm not saying I don't feel for them. I'm not saying that's right. I'm, I'm not condoning that. I'm just saying this is the reason for it. And if we wanted to stop and the people who are there protesting for their rights to, to not feel that anger, to not feel like there's an explosion, to not feel so desperate that they're going out every single day of their lives, leaving their homes and going on the streets and standing in lines in front of police and putting their lives in the line because they have had enough, then the people in power need to make this change. And we need to force them to do it. We need to get on their backs and say, you're not going to do this. We need to start you know, electing people who, we, when we send them to, to Washington, make them accountable. And I know that's something that you hear in speeches all the time and then, they get there and then eventually many of them, not all of them, but many of them go on and do their own thing and they've got this ability to, you know, with lobbyists and all these things to keep getting reelected. And then, you know, we, need, we seem to be the only ones dying in the streets and fighting for the cause. We need to find a way to send a message. I'm not saying I have the answers, but the people we're going to put in Washington and, and, and this is other, for other, other societies around the world, too. The people you put into leadership, they need to be held accountable. 
and they need to be held accountable to a society as one. And when they, they, they underperform, they should be replaced irrespective of party affiliation or anything else. I know that seems like an impossibility because humans are so divided by so many different aspects that, it, that unity seems almost impossible. But what I've seen in the last few months is movement that is building, that is getting stronger. And so as, as, as I speak to my audience, for any of you out there who are wondering what to do next, look for some way that you can lend a voice. However, through a podcast, through, 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 through whatever methodology you can find, through joining peaceful protests, through writing letters, through putting pressure, whatever way you can, but this is a call to action for things to change for us as human beings, for equality to be, to be forged so that the color of our skin does not overshadow the content of our character. I grew up in a time when I was in an environment that kept me innocent. And despite all that I've witnessed, and it hasn't been easy, I still find myself being that person, that little child who grew up in innocence. There's much more I can say in this episode, but I'm going to leave you with that, and I'm going to hope that something I said inspires you to join some movement to make the movement even more powerful, to make the voices even louder, to stop having a, a, a small few, a minority, determine the fate, a direction, the quality of life for the majority. Many years ago, I used to write. I don't do it that often anymore. And as I was thinking about this episode tonight and thinking about who I was and who, how I grew up and thinking about the fact that I struggle to be a part of any generation because I seem to, to be unrealistic or, or sometimes you might say not in touch with the reality of the world it is today because I'm stuck in the past of how I think human beings should behave and how righteousness should prevail. And so on this episode, I want to leave you with one of the, I want to call it the pieces that I wrote, hoping that you'll get the message of how I feel not to fit in anywhere because I believe in humanity and I believe that somehow, some way, we can get back to the past. Not to the past of the bad, but to the past of generations that were forging and, 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 and planted the seed for us to be good human beings. And all this nonsense that's been going on the last, at least in this country, the last few years, that seems to be taking us back from where we were heading, that seems to be pushing back in the most horrible way can be dealt with so that we can move forward. The title of this piece is Remnants of the Past. It is my dawn, 
and I awake to the darkness that engulfs my world. As my eyes strain to adjust to the ambiguity I face, I am confused. I feel lost. I peer into the maze before me, but the only things recognizable are a few lost and lonely souls like mine scattered about the terrain and the remnants of a generation long forgotten. Why am I so alone? Where am I? And what am I doing here? What cruel joke or plague have I suffered that I stand amidst an overcrowded world and yet I stand alone? As far as the eye can see, there seems to be only a few folks like me. And as we stand a few and apart, I realize that I am the victim of a generation lost to this time, never again to be acknowledged, recognized, or loved. Alas, I am but one of a few left of a dying breed, a breed of mentored souls whose birth and growth belong to a teacher of time past. My existence is held captive in the rubble that is left of culture and morals and ethics, and for any given moment when recognizable through the decay, it is ridiculed, chastised, and discredited as an existence that should be kept as history and dismissed like most. Why? Why should this be buried amongst the decaying world when its true meaning is a core of the only virtue and decency left of mankind? Why is it deemed to be obsolete? How could this generation have dismissed the traits of loyalty, trust, kindness, honesty, compassion, and love? And what have they chosen to replace it with? I stand before these misunderstood, begging for an explanation of now. Why is it now shameful to show compassion, embarrassing to be truthful, ignorant to share, and a weakness to love? What beast is responsible for smashing the mold of virtue bound by spirituality and reshaping it to resemble the disfigured likeness that we now call us? Yes, we now call it us. As unbelievable as it seems, and as confused as I am, what I do understand is that our origin was a straight path lined by both sides, by spirituality, paved with prosperity and happiness, directed by kindness and love, while leading us all the way to glory. This path is no longer defined. Rather, it has been reconstructed by mankind divided by hate, redirected by selfishness, greed, and anger, and leads to a place that many may become for many the final resting place of all the condemned souls. So even though I stand in this place segregated by time, I am one of the few remnants left of a dying breed, living in the wilderness of now, I am from a generation once grace, once great, now lost, and forever forgotten.
As always, I want to say a very, very special thank you to all my listeners and supporters. I thank you for, especially for this episode, allowing me to share some of my thoughts and perspective, personal thoughts and perspective. I ask that you continue to listen and join the call to action and empower yourself and others for change. You can listen to any and all of my episodes on your favorite podcast app. Or you can head over to the website at www.247realtalk.net. There you can also listen to the episodes and you can leave comments per episode and read up on the lives and history of many of my guests. If you'd like to send me a personal message or you'd like to be a guest on the show, email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at 247realtalk.net. I thank you so much again for joining me for this episode. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and each other.